Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. keep it chill around here chill ride chill vibes as always but here's the thing it's not really chill time right the Sixers lost game one on Sunday to the Atlanta Hawks by four was a really really bad game for everyone involved and so things are gonna be skewing high negative over the next 24 48 hours until you know game two starts I'm recording this on Monday before Game two, however, I did need to address some commentary from last week, and that is directly related to one Ben Simmons and the continued flawed, unnecessarily negative media around our star point guard. I know that Crossing Broad usually handles this kind of thing. That's their usual cup of tea. But it's time for more than one outlet speak their mind about this. Because this is getting out of hand. And it needs to... Something needs to happen. Something needs to change. A switch needs to be flipped. Something. In Game 1 against the Washington Wizards, Ben Simmons had 6 points, 15 assists, 15 rebounds, in a 7-point win. Should have been, you know overwhelmingly positive right everything was cool Simmons had a double double we won by seven everything was fine no that's not what happened WIP one of two major sports radio stations in town sent out a tweet and it was a poll that simply asked did Ben Simmons have a good game and I saw that tweet and I saw that poll and just the 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 enragement started like Madeline Kahn and Clue the movie Dude, flames fla- flame flames on, on the side of my face and I just didn't understand why the flip to the negative right they won by seven Simmons had 15 rebounds 15 assists one of six players in NBA history by the way to do this and they won by seven and they're still questioning whether or not that was a good performance. In game two, he came back with the 22-9-8 and eight stat line in a 120-95 win. So he, he responded because he had to. And he didn't really have to because he still had a great game in game one. But you know how it is. He's not shooting well. He doesn't have a perimeter jump shot, this, that, and the other thing. We've all heard the nonsensical take that he needs a jump shot. 
would it help? Sure, but it he's never had it affect his game in any way. He's still doing Ben Simmons things, and he's even added some things this year in terms of the defense, which I'll get into in a minute. Following that, and following the Sixers clinching win against the Wizards, Simmons posted to Instagram, and he was kind of mean mugging, right, as a response to like the whirlwind criticism from national and local media, which is a little bit nonsensical, but whatever. And the response to that was Angelo Cataldi on WIP, quote unquote, declaring war on Ben Simmons and calling him a jerk. Why is he a jerk? Because he mean mugged to Instagram and said with the caption, they love me, they love me not. He responded to your criticism and you took umbrage to that. It's the classic. It's the classic trope of, oh, I'm going to troll somebody. They're going to respond and I'm not going to like what I'm not going to like how they respond. Their response to my trolling is going to make me egg them on even further. And it's a shame that it's a shame that Philly sports media has, you know, degraded into what are essentially, you know, Twitter trolls. Not all of them, but there are some some classic offenders of this. And now I'm thinking to myself, I'm looking at these larger points now. Right? Why is there still so much focus on what Ben can can't do? How many years are we into this? Could he be a better shooter? Yes. Absolutely. Would it help round out his offensive game and make him more effective in the half court? Sure. But is it an absolute detriment to the team? Not always. Sometimes it is, but most times it's not because I hate to break it to you guys. This is not Ben Simmons' team. This team only goes as far as Joel Embiid takes them. And you can agree with that, you can disagree with that, whatever. I've always said that Joel Embiid is a number one offensively. Tobias Harris is the number two scorer on the team. Ben Simmons might be the second best overall player on the team, but Tobias Harris is the second best scorer. So if Embiid is on and Tobias is on, anything you get from Simmons offensively in terms of points is just gravy. It's just gravy. That's it. Could he be a better free throw shooter? Okay, this is the one where, yes, he absolutely needs to become a better free throw shooter. And the hack of Ben thing is coming. It's been deployed. That's something I can't defend. He has to become a better free throw shooter. There's nothing else I can say about that. Is he still an all-NBA defender? Yes. Good God, yes. Second team last season. Defensive player of the year finalist this season. Part of the three-headed monster that kept Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal in check. And then he came out and said, hey, I want to guard Trey Young. What all-star takes that position? Not many. Not many guys are out here like, yeah, I want to take the best perimeter threat on an opposing team. Does he still have a Magic Johnson level basketball IQ? Absolutely. 
some of the things that Ben Simmons sees on a court, it it boggles my mind as far as like how he saw it, how he executed those passes, and how he controls the flow of the game, so to speak, especially in transition. In transition, he's one of the most dangerous guys in the NBA. So the the fact that he can do... The fact that he has that basketball IQ, the fact that he is an all-NBA defender, yes, he needs to be a better free-throw shooter. But let's be honest. There isn't one player in the NBA currently who does everything well. The closest, the absolute closest there is, is LeBron James. And even LeBron James now has flaws because, you know, he's not 26 anymore he's in his mid 30s he's still the best player in the league but the the injury bug is now becoming a concern he still does most things well I can't say he does everything well because I don't think LeBron James is that good of a defender I don't think he ever has been so that's always going to be kind of a knock on him in my book When it comes to evaluating whether or not players had good games, there are just way more ways to read stats to gauge any player of any sports value on a court, on a field, etc. Points scored in basketball are no longer the end-all, be-all. Case in point, Felix Hernandez for the Seattle Mariners won the Cy Young Award And he had a losing record, but he had an ungodly ERA and whip and BABIP and everything else. So, yeah, he he was the Cy Young that year. What I'm saying is clinging to this old school methodology from a bygone era is just willfully not reading the room for whatever reason, be it. We want clickbaits, we want listens, we want tons of Joes from insert Philadelphia neighborhood here, whatever that is. Russell Westbrook had an MVP season, averaged a triple-double for the season. And what did that lead to? The the Oklahoma City Thunder being bounced in the first round. I'm not going to say that points don't matter. What I'm saying is... Points shouldn't be A, B, and C in terms of is a player really contributing on a basketball court. Now I get to the final question of this. What really is the point of all this? We all knew when he was drafted he wasn't a great perimeter shooter. This was known. This was common knowledge. He's not not trying to improve. And to suggest otherwise, I'm looking at you, Cedric Sabalos. I heard you on Colin Coward and what you said, that he's not trying to improve. I heard that, and that got me really upset because it struck me as kind of ignorant. Because we all we all love hashtag grainy video season. He he's tr- He's trying to improve. He's trying to do the best he can. I know that's like consolation trophy talk, but whatever. If after this long he hasn't improved the main thing that he always gets criticized about, which is shooting, but he still has the basketball IQ, and he's drastically improved his defense, like, good lord, like, rookie Ben Simmons on defense, like, if you've looked back defensively what he was to what he is now, uh, 
good lord that's thank you for getting in the gym and working on that because having that kind of player with his size with his athleticism being able to guard one through five uh yeah thank you thank you for getting in the gym on that one even the head coach doc rivers said he doesn't necessarily need ben simmons to score points and that's what i just said Embiid, tobias i need you guys to provide the most the bulk of the points anything i get from simmons in the point column gravy fine here's my final question to the philly and national media out there and whatever at this point is it personal now are you taking it personal now because he's tuning you out are you taking it personal because you're ignoring because he's ignoring your criticisms are you taking that personal because if you if it is personal and you hate ben simmons then just say it okay just say that it's personal just say I hate Ben Simmons. Just say it. Because I would have way more respect for you and people who spout nonsense like what you're doing if you just said it that way as opposed to the tactics that you're employing right now. Because the tactics that you're employing right now, they're very old school generation. The younger generation of sports fans like myself and others, we think about things a lot differently than in previous generations and we can understand and look at a stat sheet and see every possible way that a player contributes in a game at any certain time in any certain sport (laughs) and i'll just end it like this only in philadelphia only in philadelphia can a sports radio host get away with declaring war on their own team's superstar and get away with it. You're not getting away with it. If I have to tear every argument down brick by brick on Twitter and spend mental energy daily pointing out this nonsense and defending our players when it should be your job to defend our players and not skew negative all the GD time. If that's going to be part of my job here at Liberty Ballers, I'm happy to put that hat on. I'm happy to get on the hill and defend our guys. I will defend our guys and I'll do so by quoting a, a famous line from some branch of the military. I was I forget what maybe it's all of them but whatever. I will defend our guys against all threats foreign and domestic and now we get to the regularly scheduled out of sight podcast programming we got dave early on the line he will be with me momentarily support for this show comes from sylvan learning as a parent you want your child to have every opportunity but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge that takes a team Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey. 
instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Okay, now that I've gotten that off my chest, and I had to get that off my chest, I'm sorry that you had to kind of put up with that. Uh, the Sixers lost game one on Sunday. Game two is tonight against the Atlanta Hawks. Trey Young had a really efficient game, and it was one of the things that I was kind of worried about. Trey Young in Atlanta in the pick and roll, and yeah, that's kind of what happened. It's it's just it's just lethal. It's just absolutely lethal. And Dave Early last week wrote a piece about said Arsenal, said pick and roll Arsenal, amongst other things that you have to worry about when you're playing against Trey Young. So ahead of Game Two. Let's discuss, you know, what those things that Dave outlined were and what the Sixers need to do between game one and two. Dave, how you doing, my friend? Oh, I've been better in terms of my basketball following. We, we've uh, all been better. Life. <laughs> we, we've all been better, Dave. Outside of the sports world, I'm good. Thanks for having me. So Sorry you have to follow me, you know, being completely just going ham on everybody in uh, the, the Philadelphia sports scene. So it's, it's a it's, tough act to it's follow. It's a tough act to follow. I'm sorry, <laughs> but you drew, you drew the short straw, my man. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to hear it uh, live tomorrow with everybody else. So oh, fantastic! At, at least I'll be blind to it. So <laughs> I won't be so insecure right now. <laughs> the Sixers played, they played Atlanta, obviously, before in the regular season but there was one game where they didn't have trey young it was later on in the season and was it possible that the sixers might not have gotten gotten like a good read on what nick mcmillan has been teaching trey young how to do is that is that a possibility i mean it's it's if you mean seeing it firsthand yeah they uh they were very shorthanded they played them twice in a row at the end of the year um Trey played the second game, I think, and right. but they were still missing like Bogdanovich, Snell. I want to say Hunter. Hunter was out. Yeah, so they they were just not the not the version of themselves that they've been so far in the playoffs. Um, if your point is that the Sixers were maybe unprepared, I don't think that they necessarily were completely unprepared schematically. They did look a little. Um, you know, like round one mode, they looked like they, they looked a little flat. Yeah. They came out flat. Maybe that was getting used to playing with Joel and beat out there again. Who knows? Right. Okay. Now. Oh goodness. What, what do we do for game two? Let's just, let's just start there before you start doing deep dives. Although maybe it's kind of hand in hand. The first thing that you kind of discussed in your piece was, um, Trey Young's the the floaters and the floaters were god damn it the floaters were on full display in game one Jesus God Almighty 
um, that's that's almost an impossible thing to defend because it looks like it's just a layup, but then you know Capella is right there, so it's hard for defenses to make that judgment. Should I just like <laughs> should I try to defend it or and like risk? having goaltending called against me or just like i i don't the floater is one of the most lethal finishers in the nba right now and trey young has one of the best ones yeah they said during the broadcast he's made more this year than anyone else in the league maybe harden would have given him a run for his money if he was healthy all year he probably right be. but uh but yeah he's lethal on that shot and you know he just knocked the knicks and sent him fishing by by getting into the paint and either hitting that floater or as we saw a few times, lobbing it up to Collins and, and Capella. And one or two times, I want to say that the shot was going in or above the cylinder and, and they got credit for a tip-in. Right. So if I were, uh, were Daryl Morey with nothing to do this time of year, I would like ask them to explore stuff like that. <laughs> uh, this is a... This is part of the piece from ESPN's Royce Young that's in the column. He gets the ball, calls for a screen, and turns the corner, putting it to defender on his hip as the help comes over to corral the drive. Once he feels his defender behind, he break checks, pulling up into a quick shot. This is another little piece of his arsenal, which is the Trey Young break check. And once again, there was another one of those things that was on display, and you saw a lot of Sixers get kind of caught with their hand in the cookie jar a little bit, trying to go for that behind uh, behind the body swipe. Like Trey Young is just, he's just a smaller Harden, and it's just really tough to defend. Yeah, it's tough, man. I, you see what they were thinking putting Danny Green on him yesterday, um, but it's just not going to work. I don't think he's. I don't think he's agile enough at this point in his career to snake those pick and rolls with Trey, you know, right. you got to go one way and then you got to go over the other and around the tree. And then you got to avoid the break check move where he's just going to stop on a dime. And like, you know how you're a football fan, right? It's almost like when they try to see if it was a lateral or not, you oh, have God. To be like did Trey <laughs> young jump backwards? I feel like that's the future of <laughs> replay. Let's see where his feet left and let, where do they land? Because I think he's going backwards into our guys once in a while. Ben Simmons after the game had a quote like, "I'll guard him more if the refs will let me guard him." Right. That was that was going to be my first question to you on this podcast as far as like adjustments. In the second half, they started with Simmons on Trey Young, and there was a point where he was. Oh, I mean, it's very small sample, and I'm just going to take this victory lap anyway, but. He was over one and he definitely did seem a little frazzled and not being able to get to the spots that he wanted to, the shots that he wanted to into the lane and whatnot. Also that little half court trap was nice too. Is Ben, should Ben Simmons just be the primary defender from here on out? And you just live with Danny green on Bogdanovich. I mean, you gotta, you gotta read the, the room as they say, like, if Ben's getting in foul trouble, you obviously want to go away from it, but it's not a bad thing to start with. He is a defensive player that you're finalist for a reason. I know Brett Brown has pointed out in the past, like, you know, he's not as good on those water, but Kyrie Irving, Campbell Walker, you don't get the, the ultimate benefit of his mastery of defense when you put him on a guy like Trey. Um, 
that being said, he's probably going to be their best option. So I would try to do a hell of a lot more Ben and Matisse on trade than they did uh, in that game one. And just call me optimist, but I just feel like Simmons's length is one of those things that can just bother somebody like Trey Young. Like, so, like if Trey is trying to get to a spot, but he has to contend with, you know, a seven four wingspan that basically moves as fast as he does. Like that's something that the Sixers probably have to employ in game two and going forward. If you have, I mean, so much of everything we're talking about, I know we're talking about adjustments right now, but if you have Joel Embiid and he's able to play in game two, like he did in game one, there's plenty of reason for optimism, especially if you can get away with a few more minutes with Ben Simmons on Trey, because you could see at times, I know Trey hits so many of those floaters, but he also would see and be looming in the paint and make a pass that often didn't lead to buckets. So if we have Joel back out there again, and we could get away with a few more Ben minutes on him defensively without getting into quick foul trouble, I would feel a lot better about game two. If I knew just that. Here's a, here's a question. Do you start Matisse over Danny Green in game two? I I don't think you need to start him if you're going to put Ben on Trey from the jump. Um, If you want to put Matisse on him from the jump and buy a few minutes for Ben to just avoid foul trouble and maybe uh, ramp up offensively, that's the way to go. I wouldn't have a problem with it. I'd be totally cool with it. But they've been so rock, rock solid with their starting lineup. I could also see why Doc Rivers wouldn't want to mess with that had they not had like nine turnovers in 10 minutes in the, to begin this game, they wouldn't have been down 12. And then who knows, you know, do they do something else besides an all bench unit for a long time that, that just got destroyed. And next thing you know, you're down by 26. The, the turnover is just a huge problem. And yeah, I'm sure that's something that's going to be <laughs> pointed out to me when uh you know these philly sports radio people actually see what i'm saying to them uh today (laughs) um but that's okay that's fine you know come come at me if you want to with that one lone statistic you go right ahead um (laughs) the the break jack into four point plays you didn't see that a whole lot you just saw a whole lot of more of you know trey chucking it from like 30 feet it's still something to be weary of but at the same time, it wasn't much on display in game one. Is that is that still a huge danger going forward? Like, I, I don't know if the Sixers have that in the scouting report and they're just like, OK, uh, don't fall for that. <laughs> yeah, I think they're well aware of it. I think he actually got one. I want to say in the second quarter, not, not a four point play, but where he uh, he was rounding a screen to turn it and then just pulled up into a three and, and wound up with three free throws. I think that happened um, in the game at one point. Do you remember? Yeah, it, it does. It, it does kind of come. It comes back to me now. Now that I think about it. There was and that's a- how his that's how his sneaky four point play. And you see other guys. You've seen Jimmy Butler do this. You've seen Dame Lillard do it. Yep. A guy's on their tail. They just hit the brakes and pull up from three and, and you foul them. Um, and then the other one is where he just sort of in, initiates contact and transition and gives you a little chicken wing elbow like he gave to Matisse, which yep. got challenged, and, and somehow gets the call. And if he's getting that in Philly, it's not a good sign. 
because at, what's what's it going to look like in Atlanta? Oh my God, I don't even want to think about that. I, I don't even want to think about the officiating in Atlanta if they're already this bad in one game in Philadelphia. I really yeah, don't want to think hurt. about that. Uh, the the transition fouls they were definitely on display in game one. You saw a lot of those, a lot of early foul trouble and just missed calls or phantom calls on on whoever was defending Trey Young, and uh, I just I just find it a little bit. Do you find it a little surprising that Trey Young is getting those calls this early in his career? Like I don't know, it just seems a little early for him. That's all I'm saying. I, I agree with you. And the other thing I would add to that is if you're a defensive player of the year finalist, it doesn't seem like you're getting a ton of benefit of the doubt. I'm trying to picture Rudy Gobert stepping in and drawing a charge and and then giving him a tough whistle at this point in the year. It's almost like he's earned so many benefits of the doubt on the defensive end. Yeah, it's Um, weird. And then Ben Simmons has not against Trey. Maybe Ben doesn't get those kind of benefits of the doubt because he's guarding more wings and guards, perhaps. It could and be. It could it's, be. it's a little bit harder to officiate. Um, the last point you made here was about the officiating. We're just going to get right into it. Um, I'm sorry. That I'm, I'm sorry. The, the officiating in many of the Sixers games this playoff, I don't know if you agree with me, it's been utterly horrendous. It has been certifiable trash. Like, I'm sorry. Like, get I, it. I actually do agree with you. I know every fan base is so biased, but I, I thought in game four in Washington, they got a pretty tough whistle. Um, and then back at the crib, it wasn't like an all-out home court advantage like sometimes you've seen. I, I don't know how much the Sixers can really do in terms of, like, because they already have Doc Rivers on the on the sideline, and Bede has been in this in the league for a while. Simmons has been in the league for a while. So, like, if your head coach is Doc Rivers and he's not helping, you know, get some more favorable calls go your way, like, I don't know what the hell else the Sixers can do as fun and except just you know take these nonsensical uh, calls and whistles and just like play through them, which I guess is what good teams have to do anyway. Yeah, well, a couple of those games, Joel Embiid was not in, so maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know, but it definitely could continue to be an issue, and hopefully it won't be. With Trey Young cooking as much as he was in game one, um, how good or bad could game two be tonight, especially if he's still in his bag a little bit from game one? Well, are we assuming Joel Embiid is going to play and and look reasonably comparable to how he looked in game one uh, i don't know if i'm ready to assume that yeah i don't think it's safe because he was grimacing he, he he laid it all on the line let's face it like he didn't hold back at all he was diving everywhere yeah no 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 more minutes. no more diving on the floor joel you're done you're done this season you're done i don't want to see it anymore that's it i thought to myself you know if he comes out and he plays carefully maybe he doesn't dunk maybe he doesn't dive maybe he doesn't you know flail like the one where we saw him grimacing maybe oh, this will be like a template for how he might play next year like tons of Jokic finishes with finger rolls instead of dunks and stuff like right. that but it, or it's, or it's if not... he's or if he's dunking just like you know softly return to the ground <laughs> right but it, that doesn't appear to be in his dna so i think he's he's in gear one at this point no matter what and so some of that it's going to be on the coaching staff and the front office to 
to manage his minutes in that way. Um, so I don't know what version of him we're going to get again. I don't even know if he's going to play in game two. Maybe he swells up. Who knows? Um, and that's something to, that was pointed out. That's like really important. Like you have to watch the swelling on that kind of an injury. Yeah. I'd be surprised if it didn't swell a little bit. Um, and if, so if he's out, yes, Trey is going to absolutely tear them up and he's going to be cooking because their small ball lineups are not well rehearsed enough to stop him. They just and, started trying him. And the, the, the small ball lineup of Simmons at the five, like, I feel like honestly, and I'm being completely honest, I think if Embiid is out for game two and they go with that small ball lineup, let's say they put Matisse in the starting lineup. Like, I think that would make Trey have to work a little bit harder because, you know, Ben is Simmons at the five. Sure. He doesn't have the size to like compete with Capella and anything under the boards like that, but there's just so many wings you can throw at Trey young and trap him at half court, which is what they also started doing in the second half. I expect to see way more of that early in game two. I don't think it would make his life uh, any harder. I think you it would don't. be much, much easier. I mean, if Embiid's not in. I, I, I do think that if Embiid is not playing, Clint Capella might definitely have one of those, like, 25-point, 20-rebound games. Yeah. Mostly and off of just, like – pick lobs and rolls and, and lobs and stuff missed, missed layups <laughs> yeah <laughs> i i don't know i just it's weird and i have nothing statistical to back it up it's just gut feeling i it's it's weird to me i that's all i can say about it <laughs> well here's how i'll agree with you the minutes that joel Embiid sits now's the time to do that because you could do an entire game of having joel and ben out there or uh, Ben and Matisse when Joel sits. And so you can always have the, these like two, two tremendous defenders at one point. And once in a while, you can even have all three of them if you wanted to try that. Um, but the sit down Joel and then sit also one of Harris and Simmons. Yeah. Maybe, maybe both of them. I don't think they're going to be able to get away with that against Atlanta. That's fair. I, I, I can see your point, especially if they're especially if the Hawks double up and come back with Capella and Collins, like that mm-hmm. lineup is just gonna get murdered on the re, on the boards. Like that's I think the it could. Yeah. that's like the only drawback I see. Like one one of maybe like a handful of drawbacks I can see. Just like the rebounding potential just goes away. Yeah, we, we saw Ben Simmons in a sort of primary creator role in the second half against Washington game five. And he basically allowed any lineup to work. There were, there were some lineups with Dwight Howard and George Hill, and they worked. And there were some lineups without Dwight Howard where they went pretty small with Harris at the basically de facto five um, guarding the big and put Ben Simmons on Beal. And that worked also because Ben was driving. I don't think they really did that for him this game. They didn't give him any, like, clear outs. They didn't let him say go, like, go posterize Bogdanovich. Right. Go pick up a foul on Capella. He might have done it once or twice, but it was pretty few and far between, whereas in the Washington game, he got a lot of opportunities, got into a rhythm offensively. don't think he ever might have felt that today. Um so that's something I would try to adjust and get him more of those looks that he got in game five against Wiz. So are you still pretty hopeful for the rest of the series or have you already, you know, 
close the coffin on this season? I'm pretty disappointed um, at this point because everything was breaking really, really well for them. I mean, you, you hate to see Harden get hurt, but the fact that he did get hurt and they went up game one means if the Sixers had been fully healthy, then who knows? This could be their year. But it, it, it seems pretty clear to me that Joel's not going to be fully healthy. I don't know what he's going to be able to deliver in game two, so that'll be huge. If he's okay, if we hear that he's going to play in game two, um, I'll be very encouraged because maybe it's just like a pain management thing and at worst he needs surgery at the end of the year. It makes it worse. But, if you know, they're obviously uh, sort of going down with the ship here and he's laying it all on the line for the city. So maybe part of us can get behind that and just pray that he's all right. I will say this. Um, when this series was made official, I almost immediately said Sixers and Seven. I had a gut feeling that this series was going seven. And I, to, to whatever credit, I think that's still, I think that's still the most likely probability. I, that would be great. If you told me that was going to happen right now. I'd be thrilled because it means we avoided losing in six or less. Right. <laughs> well, sounds sounds like you still kind of have a positive outlook, and that's how that's how I like to leave people on the podcast. Let me let me give you my ultimate positive. All right. So much went wrong. So much went wrong. Um, and they almost won anyway. So, and they still only lost by four. That was incredible. Healthy, if you told me they just avoid. The, the all five bench guys lineups that, that like got outscored by 14 points in seven minutes. If you told me they stopped shooting themselves in the foot, basically on a few things that have plagued them all season long, I would love their chances in game two. I, I, I think just cutting the turnovers in half, cut the turnovers in half. I think they win game two. Yeah. Maybe Danny Green will hit a couple threes. This time. Yeah. That would be nice. <laughs> Dave, always pleasure having you on the podcast. Uh, where can people find your readings, hear you on a podcast on this fine Liberty Ballers podcast network? Uh, the floor is yours. Plug plug yourself. Plug your things. Appreciate it. My name is Dave Early. I'm on Twitter at David Early, D-A-V-I-D-E-A-R-L-Y. I write for Liberty Ballers. I find my work there all the time. And I host a podcast called No Particular Hurry as well on the Big Board Network. Dave, look forward to having you next time. Uh, game two tonight. I, I, I still feel pretty damn confident. And uh, yeah, we'll just have to see how this, we'll just have to see how it goes. If Joel's in and, and looks okay, I think they win. Done deal. So let, all, all, you, all you degenerate gamblers out there, you heard the man. Put your house notes, your car notes, your rent payments. Put it all on the Sixers money line tonight. All right, but now you're gonna have to block out where they can find me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's no, that's no problem. I can, I can bleep that out. I can edit that out. <laughs> Talk to you soon, Dave. Uh, as always, go Sixers. And uh, yeah, listen to No Particular Hurry. If you haven't listened to the podcast where he has the originator of the title of the podcast, Mr. Mark Zuma. I highly recommend you listen to that one as well as every other episode of No Particular Hurry. Also, the Gastroenteritis Blues, every other podcast on the Liberty Fallers Podcast Network. Love your work, Dave. And uh, yeah, I will talk to you soon, my friend. Shout out talking about podcasts. Shout out talking about podcasts for sure. Absolutely. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Yeah.